0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark, welcome along. Coming up, we're talking transfers as the Reds look to have wrapped up their summer signings for this year discuss who could be Klopp's breakout star for 22-23 and is it finally time to unleash the 4-2-3-1 to do all of that I'm joined by our resident tactics guru Josh Williams of course I'm sitting in for Dave Hughes but Josh how are you keeping?
1: I'm good mate yeah it's nice to see you as well transitioning from a substitute appearance player to a starter you know it's the, the, the transition is in motion mate
0: well, what what is it? Because obviously is going now, so I always say I'm I'm playing the <laughs> Origi role. But if you're saying I'm I'm beginning to make that transition, what is it? Curtis Jones maybe? And I'm um, maybe not the youthful exuberance of Curtis Jones, but trying to make a
1: comparison. I'd, I'd say I'd say maybe Kanate, mate. I mean, Kanate was on the bench a fair bit, wasn't he? Now now he's becoming a bit more of a starter. It's not a bad player to follow, really, is he?
0: No, certainly not. No, I'll take take that one all day long. Well, first up, let's get into the transfer business. I know over the last couple of weeks, there's been plenty of Darwin Nunes chat. Following that, this weekend, Calvin Ramsey arriving from Aberdeen as well with Fabio Carvalho, long having been known that he's heading to Anfield. Three in the door. What are your thoughts? Happy with that? And by all indications, we're hearing that's going to be it. Is it enough?
1: I think what I'm most happy with is the speed of the deals you know to, to, to get everything done by the end of june not even the end of june really you know it was before that wasn't it It was like mid-june so to get everything done it just it, it kind of epitomizes for me how well-oiled liverpool's recruitment department is evidence was evidence obviously being planned months in advance that's the perks of being stable on the training ground stable in the back room um it's, the, it's, the, it's what consistency gives you. You know, you can plan ahead. You're not dealing with upheaval. Say, for example, if you look at Manchester United, it seems to be new faces, but similar story in terms of moving things a little bit slowly. So what I'm most happy about is how, how quickly Liverpool have done their business. I think say certainly last season benefited from having a pro, full pre-season with the club. And now this year, um, once the players return from the holidays, Ramsey... Um, Carvalho and Nunes are all going to benefit from that. So that's nice to see. In terms of whether Liverpool are equipped to, to, to go again, I think they are, but there's this underlying frustration that seems to be a recurring theme when it comes to the transfer market. Every club, including Liverpool, always just seems to be one player away from feeling like you've got a complete... Squad with no voids almost. Liverpool always seems to have at least one player who seems to be missing. That for me is a midfielder, but despite that, we have plenty of options across the park, lots of flexibility. And again, crucially, Liverpool have brought down the average age as well this summer, uh, getting into teenagers and potentially in another starter who's 22 years old at the minute. So I think he's 23 now, actually. Um, yeah. But, yeah, all, all things considered, I'm happy with, with, with what's going on.
0: You mentioned the, the one-player short thing. Do you think of Liverpool can, at the end of the day, afford to be... Um going and getting another player for for what it would be on the wage bill. I mean, even if they were to to make room in the squad, you'd probably be looking, I'd imagine, at at two, maybe even three players going. Jude Bellingham's been one name that has been touted around. Now, it's not an infinite pot of money that Liverpool have to bring in these players all the time. And yet, if you're going to make room for a star-star signing to come in, they're going to want to know that they're playing an awful lot of football. And as I say... There's already, what, in that midfield? Eight options, if you think about it. If you brought in a ninth, surely even without the economics, it's it's probably too needing to move on to make that person coming in feel as though they're definitely going to get enough game time.
1: Yeah, and I think since uh, the Tewin-Many deal kind of broke down and, and word spread that Liverpool were potentially going to wait a year for Bellingham uh, on the back of that, I've read... The odd little report saying that Oxley Chamberlain might just run his contract down at the club. I I personally thought he'd get sold this summer, but that they're the kind of subtle adjustments you can make, um, to remain flexible in the market. Basically, so if Liverpool don't get too many and have to wait a year for Bellingham. Okay, keep Chamberlain for another twelve months. Uh, just little things like that. So, as I said, I do think Liverpool are covered, uh, and I do think the money is there if if a player like Bellingham was to become available this summer. But I think his contract expires in 2025. So if he was going to move this summer, it would be for a lot. Whereas next summer, two years left on his deal, Dortmund aren't in as strong of a position. Similar to Man United with Sancho, really. Um, when Sancho did eventually go to United, it wasn't for anywhere near the initial figures quoted. It was for about 70 million, maybe. Whereas the quotations the year before were, were like 105 million and things like that. So. I do think it makes general sense for Liverpool to go for Bellingham next season, um, and if in the meantime you have to keep hold of the likes of Ox, who's going to play, I don't know, I don't think he's going to start many Premier League games. Put it that way, I think it's fine really, just to to ensure that you get the right man on the door.
0: Yeah, for I think it's what between ten and fifteen million that's been quoted on on Alex yeah. Oxley Chamberlain. To to me. It, I, I wouldn't say that there seems too much sense in, in what that's going to then offer to, to bring another player in. As I say, it would then be another sale on top of that probably that you'd be looking to do to, to bring a new midfield player in. I, I personally completely see the logic, but then as it stands, you've got Nabi Keita, Mohamed Salah, and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain all heading into the final year of their contracts. We understand, of course, Nabi Keita is on that list for, for players to negotiate with for a new contract. But Mohamed Salah, the, the negotiations have been going on for so long now. So it will be interesting to see how it goes. But the other point you were mentioning there of the the three players coming in is the age profile of them it definitely is a case, isn't it, of looking to the future and a real indication of what the next incarnation of Liverpool may well be. We'll, we'll get onto it later in terms of a tactical perspective. But it seems since Jurgen Klopp signed this new contract this summer with Julian Ward coming in as well, the emphasis has been on hit that refresh button and really start putting in some some maybe cornerstones into to, to what the next great Liverpool side can look like.
1: Yeah, well, part of me did wonder, you know, I know Klopp's, Klopp's new contract seemed to coincide with comments made by his wife and things like that and um, all that sort of stuff. But I think it's interesting that it's also coincided with Liverpool um, seeming intense on building the next squad. I think maybe there was a bit of a questioning in the back of Klopp's mind. Are we going to be able to to build a team like this again in terms of getting getting your Salah right, getting your Mane right, getting your Firmino? Um, players like that. But I think since you've seen evidence of Liverpool starting to put those wheels in motion, specifically signing Diaz in January, Canate looks like another great buy, uh, only 22, 23 years old. And then obviously Newness this summer. I do think it's just kind of revitalised the whole thing. I liked that Liverpool were using 4-3-3 relentlessly. I liked that Liverpool had a very obvious profile across the board, um, in terms of across the pitch, different positions and stuff. But ultimately, maybe it has got to a point where things aren't stale by any means. But maybe in terms of maximizing what you can do in the confines of that four-three-three, maybe Klopp's kind of squeezed every little drop out of that four-three-three in terms of how we can evolve it, how players can continue learning despite the system remaining the same. And maybe moving forward, Um, he's opening up the prospect of, of using different shapes, using different positions previous, compared to previous ones, roles and things like that in terms of a number 10 potentially and a fixed striker and, and players like that. So, yeah, I think it's just all about Liverpool gradually evolving and I've said in the past that when it comes to bedding in these youngsters, you kind of want that Man United, Salax Alex and dynamic where those youngsters are coming through with bags of potential. And they've got those established stars to look up to in the likes of Van Dijk and Henderson and Salah and those players who have been around the block, basically.
0: Yeah, and they can learn from them, can't they, on, on the training pitch as they go. Will... We'll we'll, we'll talk about the breakout stars second half of the pod and and nail down on that kind of 4-2-3-1 and the tactical options that, that Jurgen Klopp has because I know certainly through that first lockdown many moons ago, yourself and Dave did a brilliant series of kind of trying to replicate Liverpool in how they are with what players they could go and sign. I know a couple of the players that mentioned, in fact, Diogo Jota was one of them, did end up making his way to Liverpool but I just wonder the profiles of the players signed there's been a lot said about Calvin Ramsey that that he can be effectively what Trent is like as a deputy and understudy to him at right back but in Carvalho and in Darwin Nunes in particular to me they don't fit the profiles of what's already in the squad and therefore rather than try and replicate the 4-3-3 and what Liverpool already have actually do you think Klopp's looking at it and thinking we're better suited to evolve the shape, the system, how we go about things. Of course, as Pep Linder say, says, pressing is our, uh, sorry, intensity is our identity and it is all about pressing. The core philosophies aren't going to change, but with the profiles of players, it might well be that they line up slightly differently tactically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I should probably say that. I think in Carvalho and Nunes, I, I do think they are Liverpool type signings. I think they're Liverpool type players in terms of what they offer and, the analytics background, the age of them, potential ceiling, attack attack and natured things like that. But I, I agree with you in terms of a tactical profile, I suppose, and where they like to play on the pitch and how they like to play. They don't traditionally fit Klopp's Klops four three three. Um, but I must say that a, a lot of the details to do with Klopp's four three three, specifically in attack and how it works in attack, it's it it was because of Firmino. When Klopp got to the club, Firmino was pretty much the only attacker there that he could build around with the future. I think Firmino was about 24 at the time. Coutinho was also quite young. But um, I think the view, the long-term view with Coutinho was that he was going to bring in a hefty price tag, basically. Um, So Firmino was the player that Klopp was going to build around. We needed a number nine at the time. Firmino was installed there. Uh, in say the roll a little bit like a false nine. And then on the back of that, that what you couple up with a false nine naturally is is quick wide forwards who are penetrative and goal orientated, and uh, the system kind of worked on the back of that. And I think now we always talked about how Liverpool are going to keep that going. Who could be the next Firmino? You know, could it be someone like Kai Havertz or Joe Felix or whatever? But I think the bottom line is Firmino is quite unique, and it's difficult to find another player like him. He's obviously 30 or 31 years old now. His contract expires next summer. And it's about getting in that next number nine. It doesn't necessarily have to be a false nine. It just has to be another top player, essentially, who's going to provide years of service at Anfield. And I think Liverpool have scoured the market and the best available player has been Nunes. And I think he is he is going to shape Liverpool's next attack, essentially. Um, and given his, his specific skill set well, how he behaves and things like that on a pitch. I do think it makes a bit a bit of sense to install a, a number 10 behind him as opposed to leaving that space vacant, which is, was the case with Firmino because Firmino naturally drops into those spaces. So I think across the board since the start, Liverpool have always been quite fluid tactically. But I think the, the overall system, the makeup of it in attack, I think was initially decided by Firmino, who was just already at the club.
0: Do you think it's as easy as just saying oh, it, it? It would be four-two-three-one. Equally, the end of last season, one thing that struck me so much was certainly when games needed affecting and changing, and it was where that deep attacking roster that, that Jurgen Klopp had to pick from really came into full effect was when he went 423 424 as it were he did it in the derby against Everton when they really sat in and obviously Origi came on he was that box player which i suppose you can say nunes can inherit that kind of role but equally you do still have a player like diogo jota about who can uh, can still be so versatile in fitting into to any one of those those forward option positions that are needed
1: well i think although 4231 is the talk i don't think it will be you know a, a strict change to four two three one next season and, and we barely see anything else. I think next season it could potentially be a case of close to 50-50 between four two three one and four three three. And then maybe the season after, that's when four two three one becomes the the first choice, the, the go to system. Um and in between that you obviously have the options of of occasionally going for for four four two and and systems like that. Uh, but this is the beauty of having tactically flexible players who can play across the board, different positions. Klopp's always shown an interest in that. Initially, it was so that he could have a small squad. But now, the, the demands of the calendar and the aspirations of Liverpool to compete across the board in different tournaments, you almost need more numbers. and Some of those numbers are originating from the, from the academy now, which has allowed Liverpool to get even stronger in terms of the squad. Um, but as I said, 4 I do think it will definitely be more prominent this season. But I don't think it will be a, t- a total switch. I think we will see a, a balanced switch between four-three-three and four-two-three-one, depending on who's available, who we're facing, where the match is, all that sort of stuff. I
0: was going to say with with Mohamed Salah in particular still staying around as he's confirmed for the next season at the very least. You said four-three-three really benefits with someone who can drop deeper in that kind of false nine position really benefits those five those wide goal scoring wingers which Mohamed Salah has been a brilliant exponent of the the formation and it looks as though Luis Diaz has the skill set and criteria to fit that albeit maybe the goal returns haven't quite been as as high as Liverpool would hope or, or maybe even expect but he has been in the first six months of time at Liverpool, adapting to a new country, a new language and everything that goes with it. So I suppose when you look at it, as long as Mohamed Salah's around, surely 4-3-3 will be option number one, but the profile of the other players in the squad, I suppose if you've got a 4-2-3-1, it allows you to exert a, more control on the game at the top end of the pitch and really get that, that Gagan press going with the forward players really pushing into the opposition's defensive third to win the ball back easily because you've naturally got more players higher up the pitch. But equally, the burden of of the goal-scoring load can be shared, which with Sadio Mane leaving, Divock Origi leaving, as well as Takumi Minamino, there is going to be a need, isn't there, for more... Goal scoring to be shared around the team, and it may be not just be on the two wide goal scoring forwards to have all of the concentration on them for getting the goals. The Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of Salah, what I will say is Salah does have experience of, of playing in a 4 3 1. In the season before Liverpool signed them for Roma, that was the formation that they were playing. Eden Jeho was the main man leading the line, you know, six four four or so. I think he scored 29 Serie A goals that season. Salah played on the right, like he does for Liverpool, but he played, as I said, behind a number nine and alongside number 10. And that season, Salah scored 15 in Serie A, which is still good for a wide player. And he registered 11 assists. Um, now, that total of 11 assists, he's only ever bettered in a single season once. A single league season, this is once, and that was this season. Fully enough, Salah posted thirteen assists in the Premier League this year. But before that, his previous best was at Roma. And one thing Salah's always been, I, I felt, has always been an overlooked element of Salah's game. Although he's obviously a scorer, it's always been this narrative that he's selfish. I suppose it depends what you mean by by that. But in terms of Salah being a creator. It's I've always felt it's a very underrated element of his game. I think he's really good at balancing the goals with the assists and I think the, you know, the scoring goals finding the net with the creating chances for his teammates. Um Sarah can do both of those to a very high level in my opinion. So within the confines of four two three one, I still think he'd be a very effective presence. And I think it does make sense overall to move move the sh- move the team towards a bit of a shift in Tactics, um, whereby maybe Nunes hoovers up more of the shots in the team compared to Salah, who might not be there beyond 12 months. And when it comes to Diaz on the, on the opposite side, one of the beauties of Diaz is he does have that Salah nature about him where he can come inside, score goals, and things, but he's also very, very, um, very much a winger, I think, at times. Likes to engage in 1v1 battles out wide, goes direct at his man all the time. Um, Decent cross over the ball, can play on both flanks. Um, So when it comes to Diaz, he is quite adaptable, depending on different formations. So, as I said, I think Liverpool have the makeup in attacking areas this season to really mix it up. And I thought it was interesting, actually, on the back of the Champions League final, Carlo Ancelotti said that Liverpool were easy to analyse or something like that, I think he said. Uh, Ancelotti's faced Liverpool a number of times 4-3-3 is always the way wide forward is always the way and you know Ancelotti genuinely gets decent uh, results against Klopp but on the back of this season sorry going into this season based on the business we've done maybe that's going to be harder for opposing teams to do
0: Yeah, definitely. Let's move on then with that in mind and how Liverpool could change things up and the signings they've made to talk about who could be the breakout stars, the big names that we could this time next year be talking about as staple players. I think certainly first half of last season, Diogo Jota certainly was a man who was able to lay claim to that second half of the season, maybe didn't go as he would have liked and maybe didn't get as as many of the opportunities as he would have liked, but it is always interesting and and now looking at Liverpool and it does feel this summer is maybe a bit of a summer of significance in terms of a shift, whether it's tactical or certainly behind the scenes with Julian Ward replacing Michael Edwards, Sadio Mane moving on, Divock Origi equally moving on as well. The, The Sands maybe we are shifting a bit at Liverpool, and the responsibility may fall onto other players. And I have to say, Josh, we were talking before, obviously recording about what we were going to talk about and who could be the breakout stars for this season for Liverpool. To me, there are so many contenders.
1: Well, one of the major contenders, I suppose, is Fabio Carvalho, and uh, you, you yourself have more experience than I do, I suppose, of, of watching him based on your your time in the Championship, mate.
0: Yeah, no, he's a a player who I have to say I am very excited to see how he deals with making the step up to the Premier League. absolutely lit up the Championship last season. He is only 19 years of age and really fits into that profile of the young stars that Liverpool are signing. He he ticks the homegrown box as well. And I think with what you were saying of of maybe moving to a 4-2-3-1, I think if that is going to happen, I think he could really excel in that number 10 role. Now, I don't think it'd be fair to expect a 19-year-old to be the first choice number 10 for a team right at the top of the game like Liverpool. But equally, I do think this year maybe we will see through the course of the season, if that is the, the tactic that's adopted, that you really do begin to see him come into that. I think having watched him, he he is such a brilliant ball carrier. He, he can play kind of those defence splitting passes as well. And I think equally playing with a player like Harry Wilson at Fulham, who played off that right-hand side, left-footed in a 4-2-3-1 with a focal point like alexander Mitrovic. I actually think you're just putting better players around him if it's to be that same kind of system. And can really kind of um I suppose extract maximum output from him with playing the likes of, of Salah and potentially Darwin Nunes as, as well. Now, two-thirds of, of that attack that I mentioned would be brand new to to being in the system. And on the left, you'd probably have Luis Diaz or, or Diogo Jota. So I wouldn't expect it to be something from day one that is kind of looked at by Jürgen Klopp and and that is how they go. But equally, I think if you if you think of that in a four, two, three, one. Of Salah, Carvalho, Diaz and, and Darwin Nunes or, or Diogo Jota I think personally that would be a really exciting kind of forward line that, that Liverpool could potentially unlock and Fabio Carvalho I think is going to be a player who for the long term for Liverpool is, is really going to grow and develop and maybe this season straight from the off we'll, we'll begin to see that breakthrough
1: Yeah, do you know what? I, I, I think he's going to be a really, really underrated player for Liverpool. I think this time next season say maybe 19 games in at the halfway point, I think we'll be reflecting on his signing as a, a real piece of expertise when it comes to Liverpool's transfer moves. You just look at what he offers as a player. I mean, for a start, you mentioned there, he's homegrown. The large majority of players that, that, that you have to sign at the top level, at least in terms of like the Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, those, those teams obviously have to acquire homegrown players to meet certain rules, but you have to be a certain level to play for those clubs. So a lot of the time, those homegrown players go for fifty million plus. You know, if you think of Ben White and Chilwell, Adam Wamba Kyle Walker, um, Jadon Sancho, Jadon Sancho, yeah, Jude Bellingham, whatever he will go for. Um, you know, I'm sure there's many, many more. Off the top, of me, Declan Rice, you know, was going to go for a lot. Generally, those players are very, very expensive. Liverpool have just got a homegrown teenager who is, as you say, lit up the championship there for for buttons relative terms. So, considering that, it's 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 an expert move. And if you look at his output as well across the board, he's, as I said, he's he's still a teenager. And the numbers he's posted in in comparison to other teenage players, not just who, who are homegrown, but across the you know whole of Europe, he is a real find. I'm telling you. And
0: yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of people who might listen and think, well, well he's, he's, he's a big step to take up from the championship to get to where he's he's going to have to get to go back a couple of years and and see what Mason Mount did at Derby County and stepped up. And that was a Derby County side that only finished in the top six and reached the playoff final. This is a Fulham team that not only won the league, they scored the most ever goals that have been scored at second tier level. They walked the division. Yes. As I say, they had someone like Mitrovic at the top end of the pitch, but he needed supplying. And whilst, yeah, maybe not every assist came from him. A lot of them, as I said before, came from Harry Wilson in the build up to those moves was Fabio Carvalho. And he, he had a bit of a spell out of the side. I think it was in the autumn through injury. Came back in second half of the season and admittedly, after the Liverpool transfer talk had really intensified and it was clear that Liverpool were, were very keen on him to play a very crucial role in the run-in for them. And like you, I, I actually... I, I can't imagine first half of the season he's probably going to play an awful lot. But because we know what Klopp's like with getting players used to the system and holding them back and he's the expert of waiting until a player is fine tuned into the system before then releasing it and going yep you know what here we go and i think you look at you look at the liverpool squad makeup and the players who aren't going to the world cup to me there would be an awful lot of room on the training ground for first part of the season for liverpool to be training the 4231 almost behind closed doors the best kept secret that we know liverpool are going to unlock of having Luis Diaz, who's not, I think I'm right in saying, going to the World Cup with Colombia. Mohamed Salah isn't with Egypt. Fabio Carvalho, I wouldn't imagine, is going to be part of the Portuguese senior setup, given he's playing in the under 21s at the moment. And then, therefore, when they come back from the World Cup, you've effectively got that supply line in behind whoever's going to play as the focal number nine, ready to go into what could potentially be a, a devastating new old system, if that's the right way to put it.
1: Yeah, well, one of the perks attached to his profile as well, this is on on top of everything I've just listed before, is although he's a number 10, he previously came out and said he most enjoys, I think he said, playing as a wide forward. And then I think you could also, considering how Harvey Elliott did, particularly at the beginning of last season, I think you could also, in certain situations, deploy him as a as a number 8 in a four three three as well. So I yeah, think I
0: think the left-hand side of that for fall... Three three would personally if if you said to me right now where where would he play for Liverpool, I would say that would be the most natural fit for him because I think a bit like Elliot, I don't know if he's quite dynamic and explosive enough to play as a, a, a wide forward in the four three three. Yeah, but equally again the four two three one he could probably play in a wide role like that like Harvey Elliott did when when he went on loan to Blackburn Rovers. But I don't think in the four three three he would play as an out-and-out forward. But it has been being spoken about with Carvalho coming in that he is going to be a forward option for Liverpool. So, again, is that a hint to 4 2
1: Well, it'll be interesting to, to get your thoughts on um, whether, whether the comparisons to Cusinho are, are in any way accurate because sometimes those, those comparisons can emerge and he can be quite lazy. You know, both players have played for Liverpool or going to play for Liverpool and Carvalho's case. They even look relatively comparable. <laughs> um, and, and in terms of their, their nature, their playing style, I suppose is relatively similar. I, I actually think there's a lot in it, um, in terms of how, how you would use the players. Again, Coutinho wasn't really quick enough to be a proper wide forward for Klopp, but he wasn't really... Playing him as an eight was a bit of a defensive risk. You could play him as a ten... Very technical, shorter than the large majority of his peers, but despite that, he couldn't really get the ball off him. Um, Dynamic on the ball. So I think there's lots of comparisons there, but I think in Carvalho's sense, in comparison, I would say he's like senior right? But I think he's got a bit more of an engine defensively. I think he's a bit more inclined to work defensively in terms of pressure regains and things like that. So he's a bit more on a clock mould in that sense, but maybe a bit less inclined to do the extraordinary and win a game on his own and score a goal from 30 yards. But other than that, he's very comparable, just a bit more in the mold of what Klopp would like, would have liked from Coutinho. Um it remains to be seen if he'll be as special as him on the ball. Have you got any thoughts on on comparisons there?
0: No, no, I do agree with you um a lot on kind of that Coutinho thing and you, and you don't want to burden a player do you with, with a big name like that but for example when when Liverpool sold Coutinho everybody immediately is clamouring for saying oh who's going to be the, the Coutinho replacement who are Liverpool going to sign to replace Coutinho Coutinho left in what January 2018 I think I'm right in saying so it's yeah. four and a half years later but again it feeds into to what Liverpool do they don't just go and search the market and say, right, who's the the next best version of Coutinho at that present moment? They wait until a talent comes available to say, actually, is this guy worth bringing in? And again, is it going to be worth seeing a tactical shift? Because we saw how devastating in the, the first half of Coutinho's final season, Liverpool were with having that four strong forward line with Salah and Coutinho linking up within that, Mane and Firmino as well. And a possibility of whether they go back to that. I agree with you as well that I, I don't think he's probably capable of the individual spectacular quite like Coutinho was the long-range shooting but equally at times that was a frustration for Liverpool that Coutinho would, would shoot from range as often as he would equally there, there would be some impressive um, returns from it at, at certain points but I think what you say as well of him being more pressing I think that's just a product of being, being brought through in the modern era Coutinho um, yeah, by no means is old but if you look at Fabio Carvalho's birthday it's the 30th of August 2002 so Jurgen Klopp go back to when he really introduced pressing at Borussia Dortmund and won that first league title in what 2011 Fabio Carvalho at the beginning of that season would have been 8 or 9 years old would have been playing his formative football and come through during the era where pressing has really become prevalent and would have been trained within thinking about defensive actions right from being a young player, whereas Coutinho, it probably wasn't until he arrived at Liverpool where it was then, right, adjust your game and see if you can get that defensive onus and responsibility within part of your your, your game. But I think their profile, their, their their stature and how they look to play the game, I would say is similar. And maybe it could be the reason that Liverpool revert to the 4-2-3-1. But I think we should talk about some other players as well. Harvey Elliott's one I'm really intrigued by because I know this time last year, he was a player myself. I was really rooting for and, and tipping to, to do good things. Equally thought that might have been as an understudy to Mohammed Salah and seen him rested a bit. But it was more in that midfield area where, of course, he picked up the injury but looked very impressive within that. And I just wonder this season, Josh, whether you think he'll go again, take his game to the next level, and actually if you think he'll stay in the midfield or, again, if he will graduate towards playing in an attacking role.
1: Well, again, it, I feel like this one depends upon the the development of the team, really. Because I see, if Elliot's going to play in centre midfield, it's going to be as part of a three. For me, there's no way he can play as part of a two. So that would rule out 4-2-3-1 when it comes to Elliot unless he was to play as a number 10 in that system. Or potentially on the right, actually. I know Salah's going to occupy that spot for the next season, at least. But maybe that's a nice move for Elliot considering in a 4-2-3-1, that right-sided role, which he played for Blackburn, Maybe is a bit less goal orientated if if you're playing with a front four as opposed to a front three because Nunes will be getting more goals, Carvalho or Firmino or whatever will be playing as number ten. So there's a number of spots that have opened up there for, for Elliott Elliot really, but in terms of a four three three, definitely for me he's the right side of number eight. I don't think he's quick enough or goal orientated enough to to be the the Salah. I can't see him being the false nine, certainly. And so, for me, he's a, he's a right-sided number eight in the fourth in 3 And Last season, before his injury, I was really, really impressed with him. I think he's similar to Carvalho. He's, he's got that industrious nature about him, despite him being a really creative player with a really good first touch. His decision-making has always been really, really good. I was big on him last summer. Um, and early on, he, he was living up to that, but... Then he got his injury, and then when he came back, Liverpool were going for the quadruple, so it wasn't ideal for him. But Elliot is another one to watch next season. Um, lots of potential. and I mean, how old is he now? He Is, is he still a teenager? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's 19, turned
0: 19 in, in April.
1: Yeah, see, so, you know, in Harvey Elliott there and, and Carvalho, funny enough, two players from Fulham. I mean, they must be being sick. But you've got two, two players there who both... Teenagers, both 19 years old, and both homegrown, and both just really, you know, disguised the, the limit, really, with the parent.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. I think I'm right in saying as well, Fabio Carvalho, and in fact, Harvey Elliott has spoken about playing with Carvalho in the youth teams at Fulham in the past as well. So hopefully for Liverpool, there, there is an existing relationship within that that can be exploited. And I'm with you within kind of the midfield. I think his season at Blackburn, I think he picked up 11 assists in the championship in that year. And I think playing in the midfield probably feeds more into his creative side of his game rather than the goal scoring, I think he can be a player who develops into chipping in with goals, but maybe not an out-and-out out goal getter that Liverpool certainly had from that wide right under Mohamed Salah for the five years that he's been at the club. Another player, though, that I think this year maybe we will see, do you think, graduate to being the first-team time 1st first regular? You, you compared him to me right at the start of the, the show. Is Ibrahima Kanata, <coughs> is this going to be the year that he and Van Dijk really nailed down that that partnership between the two of them? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Yeah, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think maybe from the off, maybe Joel Massive will will remain. But I think as as 4-2-3-1 becomes more prominent, I think Canate will become more prominent in the team. Um I think I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season he's kind of properly ousted um, Matip as the, as the first choice. Um, I mean, we we are going to get to the details of, of 4, 4 2 are not we? But in terms of Canate, I think he's better 1v1 in comparison to Matip. And I think that is going to be more of a thing with 4 3 one But I don't want to spoil... Supplies.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Let's 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 dig into that because we have spoken <clears> an awful <throat> lot about the the formational shift this year, and I know you have been asked about it prior to the episode, and hence informed a, a large degree why we're we're talking about it today and about it. But what are the benefits, the intricacies, the differences between where Liverpool have been with four three three and and what they could well move to with four two three one.
1: Okay, well, there's a number of differences I did get at the end during the week from one of our regular listeners who asked me to speak about this. So um, there's a few sort of differences. Not that many, I mean, but it's just a spatial thing. But uh, overall, there's some differences. So first of all, I think the the primary difference is you're playing with a two in in the middle of the park as opposed to a three. So one of the ways in which that will influence the system is you naturally then have less cover for the two full-backs. Uh, Robertson is not going to change in nature. Simakas isn't, Trent isn't, and neither is Calvin Ramsey, I'm assuming. So you're still going to be playing with those offensive fullbacks, but you're going to have one less body covering those players, essentially, because it's just harder to do as part of a two as opposed to a three. Naturally, as a result of that, you're probably then going to be relying on the individual 1v1 ability of your two centre-halves a bit more, uh, which is why maybe Kanata makes a little bit more sense there as a player, because the number eights who would typically provide cover are just going to be there a little bit less. Um, on top of that, in terms of the the two midfielders, they just will behave quite differently to what we're used to. The number eights naturally are box-to-box, and... Um, occupy high spaces and the half spaces and things like that and team up with the likes of Salah in high areas. If you're playing as part of a two, your movements are just a little bit more horizontal as opposed to vertical. Um, so you're just kind of providing a bit of authority in deeper areas and you are you're almost form part of a box with your two centre-backs. So imagine, say, Thiago, Fabinho, Canate and Van Dyke forming like a defensive box and kind of everybody else just going for it, essentially, in the final third. Um, Obviously, also, you have a number 10 in there. Now, I mentioned earlier about Firmino. It didn't make much sense to field Firmino as a 9 and a number 10 behind him because Firmino naturally drops into those number nine spaces anyway. Yeah, sorry, number 10 spaces anyway. But in Nunes, you have a bit more of a orthodox penalty box poacher in a way. So given that, maybe it makes sense now to occupy those ten spaces um with a fixed number ten, because Nunez isn't gonna do it as much. And then again on in the wide areas, maybe there's a bit more responsibility on the two wide men to provide more of a dual threat in terms of creation and scoring, as opposed to primarily scoring. Which has been the case with Mane and Salah for the past couple of seasons, so I'd say they're the general basics of it. Um, I mean, there's some more details in in, in that, but I think generally there, that's the crux of how Liverpool would would shift if they moved towards a 4-2-3-1 compared to what they've usually operated in. I'm not sure if you can think of any else, any other ones, mate.
0: No, it's it, it's more, I suppose, a, a formation of exerting control, isn't it? Which actually. We've seen Liverpool move to, for quite a while now under Jurgen Klopp, more of a possession and tactical game where effectively, as you say, you use those two deeper midfield sitters to to almost at times lock in the the opposition and you have your higher players up the pitch able to really implement a press. And th- there's basically that safety blanket behind the axis of the, the, the two, uh, I suppose, number six pivot midfield players who pick up the ball and then just keep keep moving it around and, and keep feeding it out into the wide areas and into the number 10. And you've got a number of different uh, exploitation points, I suppose, especially if the fullbacks are going high and wide as Liverpool's would do. You would have your inside forward players Dropping also, you mentioned before about how it's it's kind of a horizontal role for the two midfield players. It can equally be that for the for the wide forwards, can't it? Rather than they go in behind the striker as Mane and, and Salah did so often under Roberto Firmino, actually, they kind of come inside alongside the number 10 at times to help then link with the number 10 more and, and really have an intricate and precise build-up to your play. But with it, in talking of kind of the, the, the midfield then, what do Liverpool have? And I suppose it goes right back to the start about transfers and people saying that a central midfield player would be ideal. And sure many, I remember you and Dave speaking about him back in the autumn saying he would be a brilliant partner for Fabinho in a four-two-three-one. Jude Bellingham, likewise, could probably fit that role too. Of the current options Liverpool have and if the business is to be done this summer, how would you see it working then with the midfield options they have? Because off the top of my head, I would say that the four players comfortable maybe in those kind of two roles would be Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson and James Milner. I'm not really sure if it's the kind of roles for the likes of Curtis Jones, Naby Keita or, or even Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ox in particular, I, I, I do not see a spot for him in a 4 3 one For me, he's very much a number eight. Um, I mean, maybe he would benefit as part of the the attacking front from four as a wide man because, as, as we've just established, there's a little bit less of an emphasis on those players in that system to score all the goals. Ox has never really been that player, so, yeah, maybe he benefit from that. But, yeah, this is why Tua many would, would have been nice and this is why maybe it makes sense again to go towards 4-2-3-1 because the likes of Henderson, Milnet and Thiago we are still going to be integral to the team next season. They're not getting any younger. You know, they're getting quite old now. And as I've just said then, when it comes to the midfield movements in a 4 3 one compared to a 4-3-3, the movements are just a bit more, uh, just side to side, more lateral, compared to going box to box all day, um, really covering an extensive ground and a bit more um, stepping back, overseeing things, controlling, as you said, a bit more lighthouse, you know, from from deeper areas, and just letting the players ahead of them do a lot of the do a lot of the attacking almost. Um, Caters Jones is an insistent one. Before I talk about Curtis Jones, actually, Naby Keza has experience of playing this system for Leipzig. Uh, I don't think it'll be that much of a problem for Naby. I think he'll be okay. Maybe not as the the deepest of the two, but as the if Fabinho was the deepest of the two and Naby was kind of a little bit round the corner, I think he'd be fine there. Kacis Jones is an interesting one because I'm not really sure yet where he's going or what he is. I I think if I was to define him, if I was to put him in what I would label as his best position, it would be the left side of number eight in a 4-3-3. In a 4-2-3-1, I wouldn't be defensively confident enough in him to leave him as part of a two potentially as a left sided forward, but even that feels a little bit weird. Um as a number ten, I don't know if he's if he's good enough in those areas and I don't know if he's quick enough with the decision making in those areas to do well. Yeah, well
0: it was it's largely what they the system he was playing and part of in the academy, wasn't it? And he, he kind of flourished certainly that last season as playing wide on the left. But as you say, he he seemed to have really outgrown Academy football by that stage, but I'm I'm with you on him. And I think as much as we've we've also discussed breakout players for this year, I, I, I think this year is going to be so interesting in terms of the formation, because as we've discussed, I think there's so many hints that 4-2-3-1 could, could well be the way to go for Liverpool in, in certain scenarios. But I do think by and large, it probably will stick to the 4-3-3. But I think for this season, whilst not maybe a breakout season for him, I think it could be a crucial year for Curtis Jones to really stamp his... Authority on 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 why he has a long term future at Liverpool because I think if he has another season, perhaps like the last one, eventually the question might well be asked of. Whilst yes, he's club trained and he's homegrown, is there enough coming from him? When you think at the end of this year, I think I'm thinking right in saying that Harvey Elliott would 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 classify as club trained as well, and you've got those players who are coming through. Tyler Morton's one who we've not spoken about and came into the side a bit last year, but I think he could. Be comfortable in either system, as well. But I do think Curtis yeah. Jones. I think it. I think it's a big season for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, whenever that I've happens Curtis Jones, I've never been too worried. I've always thought he's, you know, he's he's on the right track. He's doing okay. He's still young enough where you don't need to worry. And in comparison to the players Liverpool usually sign, Liverpool don't usually sign midfielders as young as Jones is. So all of this development that Jones is going through. Liverpool's silence would usually do this elsewhere and we don't usually see it. We see the finished product at Anfield. So in Jones, we just need to be a little bit uh, patient with him, I suppose. I will, what I will say is, last season, I think I expected him to come on a little bit more than he did. I thought he'd be a bit more of a prominent figure at the end of the season than he actually was. Um, nothing too dramatic, but I suppose that's a little tiny bit of a negative. I think Clock might have said at one point that he got to a point in the season where he had a talk with him and kind of said, you need to almost show why we're giving you so many opportunities. You need to kind of grab. You need to do a little bit of what Steven Gerrard did, where he kind of he just grabbed the midfield starting spot and didn't let anybody back in to the extent where he eventually, not not too long down the line, became the club's captain. But um, if you look at Jones as a profile, he is interesting I don't think 4231 is that good for him, if I'm honest, unless he was to play on the left as a forward type player rather than the midfield. I think upon inspection of of what he offers and the skill set, I don't think he's that different to Phil Foden, but he's just not as good and not as quick. Um Foden's speed is one of the reasons why he can play in the front line and not be a not be an issue at all. Jones hasn't really got that. He's like a weird cross between Voden and Grealish, but not as not as good as either of them. Um I mean maybe is it maybe he is as good as Grealish when Grealish was twenty one. You know, maybe I'm being too high state. To Grealish is probably a good example actually, because Grealish does play on the left, left flank, but he's not a typical left flank player in terms of being quick enough to pose a threat in behind and he does dawdle on the ball a little bit, but it usually benefits Grealish to do that. If you were to play goalies in the middle of the park, maybe you'd feel a little bit, little bit concerned. So yeah, Jones is a weird, weird profile, and it's going to be interesting to see how he develops over the next few years, specifically yeah, in Liverpool towards four, two, three, one. I
0: I am a big fan of Curtis Jones, and the the only reason I was saying before about I think this year is going to be a big year for him is I think at the end of the season he'll, he'll be twenty two, and we we've seen so often actually in even the last few years, Liverpool do make big calls on players even if they are young of. Being ruthless of whether they are going to be good enough for the long term. and I, I personally think, yeah, hes he, he is a great player, but like you say, I think there are question marks, and I think this year it is a case of when that opportunity comes, grab it and don't let go of it. Equally, towards the back end of the season, he was the one being afforded Premier League opportunities ahead of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, ahead of Harvey Elliott as well. So he's certainly got Jurgen Klopp's trust, but we'll have to wait and see how this season does play out for him. That's all we've time for on this edition of Analyzing Anfield. Thanks for, for joining us and, and going through everything that you have done. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us here at Blood Red, you can do so with our new mailbox that is open, bloodred at reachplc.com. If you have any questions or anything of the sort to get in touch with, any feedback of any kind, do hit us up on that bloodred at reachplc.com. But from myself, Guy Clark and Josh Williams, thanks for your time and your company here on Analyzing Anfield. So bye for now.